0: Faith and Alan, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7. As we prepare to look at the the Scriptures tonight, I want you to ask yourself a question. And that question is simply, Do you love the Word of God? Just think about that. And the way that you can find the answer is that question isn't just by, you know, thinking, oh yeah, I do, in your mind, but rather the the amount of time that you give to it. I I heard somebody say recently that uh, busy schedules don't steal our priorities, they reveal them. And if we truly love the Word of God, and if the Word of God is a priority in our life, then we will give time to it. And in 1 Kings chapter 7, we're going to see how uh, some of the things that is going on here and and the things that a Tyre, uh, Hiram of Tyree uh, builds, it points to our need for the word of God. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, the last time that we looked at this book, we began to look at these works of brass that were uh, made by Hiram, Hiram of Tyree. And remember, this Hiram of Tyree was not the king from, I believe, chapter 3 or 4, but uh, rather a skilled worker of brass that Solomon had hired. Now the, the, the temple in Solomon's house, it had been completed and now Hiram was building brass instruments and building brass monuments for the temple which would carry a lot of significance and remember the first thing that we saw that he constructed a couple of weeks ago was these two freestanding pillars that would be outside of the temple and these pillars were named Yaakin and Boaz and the, the two meanings of these names, they gave allegiance to the Almighty God. Yachin meant he will establish, and then Boaz meant in him is strength. So these uh, they really carried much meaning, and uh, it would be a reminder to whoever the king that was reigning at that time, it would remind them that, hey, look, God keeps his promises. And it would also remind them that their strength does not lie within themselves, but rather it lies in God. And the same must be, uh, we must remember the same thing today, now, God does keep his promises. And by the way, the Bible is full of them uh, if you need to look. Uh, but he will keep his promises. And you also need to understand that your strength does not lie within yourself, it does not lie with another person. It lies in God alone. Now, tonight, we're going to go ahead and continue to see these works of brass and uh, how important these articles were. And uh, again, while what, Har- what Hiram made, and we're going to see tonight, what he made, it's no longer in use today. But it does point to a concern of God that matters even today. And the concern of God, now we're going to see tonight, is His concern of having a clean and pure and holy people. That is a concern of God. Living a clean and pure and holy life matters to God. It does. And in order... To live a holy life, the Christian must daily go to God for cleansing because without it we cannot and we will not be able to be vessels that are fit for God's use. And we'll see that tonight. Uh, But just as it is impossible for you to be physically clean unless you make the effort to take care of your personal hygiene and bathe, it is also impossible for you to be spiritually clean unless you daily make the effort to allow God to To cleanse you. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 7. Start with verse 23. Uh, We'll just read a few verses to start with. The Bible says, And he made a molten sea, 10 cubits from the one brim to the other. It was round all about, and his height was 5 cubits, and a line of 30 cubits had compassed it round about. And under the brim of it, round about, were 10 knobs compassing it, 10 in a cubit compassing. The sea round about the knobs were cast in two rows. When it was cast, it stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, and three looking toward the west, and three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. And the sea was set above upon them, and all their hinder parts were inward, and it was in handbreadth thick, and the brim thereof was wrought like the brim of a cup with flowers of lilies. It contained two thousand baths. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray uh, that tonight you will help us through the preaching of your word. I pray that you will help us to uh, be people, believers that are set apart and holy and pure and look to live holy and pure lives, uh, not just publicly but privately, for your glory. I pray that you will help us to be vessels that are fit for your use. And I pray that you will help us to love the word of God more because that is what is going to cleanse us and and make us clean clean. Uh, before you and keep our hearts in tune with you. I pray that you'll just do uh, a work that only you can do tonight as we look at your word. We thank you for your word. I pray that you'll be honored and glorified in the preaching and help me to just uh, speak the truth of God and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, molten sea that is mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 7 was a giant basin for water. And Mike, if you would just put up that image. Uh, The dimensions, uh, based on the cubits that is mentioned here, uh, is 15 feet across from rim to rim, seven and a half feet deep, and 45 feet in circumference, and it is three inches thick, and you can see uh, in front of the temple here, that molten sea. Uh, It would hold, according to scriptures, it would hold 2,000 baths, which would be around 12,000 gallons of water. And then underneath... Uh, this large basin was, was these bronze oxen. And I, yeah, there you go, the bronze oxen right there, and it would u- be used to support it, and it would be used to elevate it. And let's look again at verse 25 as it speaks of this. It says in verse 25, It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, and three looking toward the west, and three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. Now, 12, these oxen, they symbolized strength back in in these times. So it was really uh, symbolizing the strength of the Lord, but it possibly was also representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But uh, this basin, it would stand in the courtyard, as the the picture had shown of the temple. And as if that was not enough water, uh, our text also tells us of more works of brass that served a similar purpose. Let's look at verse uh, 27. Look at verse 27. It says... And he made ten bases of brass, four cubits was the length of the one base, and four cubits the breadth thereof, and three cubits the height thereof. And look at verse 37. It says, after this manner he made the ten bases, all of them had one casting, one measure, and one size. So uh, Hiram goes on to not only build this big giant uh, molten sea, but he makes ten more. Uh, basins of brass, but these ones are much smaller. And uh, you can go ahead and show that one too. Uh, It's in the same picture. But these were each six foot square and four and a half feet high. And they would hold 200 gallons of water. Uh, And they would also be in the courtyard of the temple. You'd have five on one side and then five on the other. Uh, But this passage tells us that, uh, and I didn't read it there, but let's go ahead and look at that. It tells us about how it has wheels. Let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 1 Kings chapter 7 and look back at verse 33. It says, And the work of the wheels was like the work of a chariot wheel. Their axle trees and their naves and their fellios and their spokes were all molten. So they have these brass wheels underneath them, uh, which would, would really just make them portable so they could be moved around easily. Uh, so with all of these basins, with the, the big, uh, large, molten sea, and then these ten basins of water, you're looking at about 14,000 gallons of water in the courtyard of the temple. That's a lot of water. And you would say, okay, well, what would all of this water be used for? Well, Second Chronicles tells us exactly what it's used for. So let's go there. Second Chronicles chapter 4. Now try not to fall asleep and get bored because this is just setting something up for you. And it's very important for you to understand and for us to see. In 2 Chronicles chapter 4, uh, this really just tells us of the building of the temple and uh, uh, the works of Hiram. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 4 and look at verse 6. It tells us how uh, Hiram made these basins, but it tells us the purpose of the basin uh, and and there's the large basin and the ten smaller ones. Look at verse 6. It says, He made also ten lavers and put five on the right hand and five on the left to wash in them. Such things as they offered for burnt offering, they washed in them. But the sea was for the priest to wash in. So we see the purpose of these of these basins. The 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 large one, the, the molten sea with the uh, the 12,000 gallons of water was for the priest to wash in. And then these uh, ten smaller ones, with the five on the left, the five on the right, they were used for burnt offerings to be washed in. So I just want to kind of look at uh, these basins and talk about a little bit. First I want to mention these small ones. These small basins, it says here that they were used for uh, cleaning burnt offerings, animal sacrifices. And these sacrifices, uh, if you know anything about the sacrifice of the Old Testament, there were a lot of them, uh, but they would be used to thank God. To be forgiven of sin. They'd be used to praise Him. And they'd be used for many other temple rituals. So these small basins would come in handy as they would uh, clean these sacrifices. But again, this right here just demonstrates God's concern for cleansing. In the Old Testament, if you were going to be spiritually clean before God, you would need to participate in the necessary sacrifices and cleansing of the Levitical law. And again, all of these sacrifices served a purpose. Uh, In particular, I think of the sacrifice that was made on the day of atonement by the priests for the sin of the people. Uh, They would be forgiven for a whole year uh, as long as they made that sacrifice and did those elaborate rituals. But today, as we very well know, cleansing must take place for eternal forgiveness from God, but it's in a different way. You must be washed by the blood of God of the lamb. And if you have not been washed by the blood of the lamb, then you have no salvation. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. I, mean, I have a, I have a lot of places to turn tonight and I could go more. There's so much to be said about this. But look at 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. The Bible says But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And look at this, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. All sin, not some sin, all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed once, by the way, one time, it brings us salvation and it brings us cleansing of sin. Now, thank God we no longer have to sacrifice anything to be spiritually cleansed or to be uh, forgiven for a year from sin. We must only trust in the finished work of Christ. And this initial cleansing that we have when we come to Christ as we trust in His blood, it will forever keep us. I I say this all the time, but I'll just keep saying it. Once you are saved, you're always saved. You trust in Christ, you are always saved, and we no longer need an earthly priest to satisfy the wrath of God, to pacify His wrath, because Jesus Christ came down and He forever satisfied the wrath of God, and that will never change. So if you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are washed. The Bible mentions this in several places. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So thank God we don't have any need for these small basins anymore. Amen? Uh, thank God we don't have to go to the temple to do this, to be cleansed of anything. We just have to go to Christ because it's no longer works of righteousness. We have a much better cleansing, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now I want to look at the large basin that was uh, used for cleansing the priest, and this is really where we're all going to focus on tonight. Uh, in the Old Testament... Uh, the, the, the reason that they had this large basin is because uh, it was mandatory for the priests to physically clean themselves. They had to physically wash their hands and wash their feet. And if they did not do that before, they went into the holy place for the holy of holies. They would be killed by God. And this was established in the tabernacle with Aaron's sons, and it was uh, a rule that was set in place also here in First Kings. And I want to go there and look at Exodus chapter 30 and see the establishment of this law by God. And look at Exodus chapter 30. <clears throat> and look at verse 17. Now, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, a lot of the things in old, the Old Testament begin making sense. Uh, when, we, when we take what we see in 1 Kings, when we look at other places, it's like, oh, the light comes on. And, and look at this here, in Exodus chapter 30, verse 17, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burnt offerings made by fire unto the Lord, so shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not." And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his seed throughout their generation. So here God is telling Moses, hey, when the priest goes in there, when they make sacrifices, when they go into the holy place, they have to make sure they wash their hands and feet. And he he's so serious about it and wants them to get it so badly, he says the same thing twice. He repeats himself so that they know what they are to do. So... This washing of hands and feet before fulfilling their priestly duties, it was mandatory. This was a very serious thing. You did not just casually walk into this place, okay? If you were a priest, you were very careful to make sure that uh, you did not go in there without cleaning your hands or your feet. Because if you did, it would result in death. So they had to make sure that they were ceremonially pure and they were physically clean before they went in there to do their work. And likewise today, if we are going to do a work for God and be the Christian that God wants us to be, then we have to be spiritually pure. And look, today, we don't have priests that make sacrifices for us, as I've already said. But you know, all believers today are God's priests. You're, you're, you're a believer priest. We all have duties as a believer priest to fulfill, and we must live clean before God in order to do so effectively. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2 to see this. 1 Peter chapter 2. The Bible likens us to a lot of different uh, uh, pictures in the Bible, and one of them is a priest. And look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says in verse 5, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and look what it says, in holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the, the priest of the Old Testament and the believer priest of today They share much in common, but one of the things, the main things I want to focus on is this offering sacrifices to God. So in the Old Testament, you had uh, these physical sacrifices that involved animals, but the ones that, the sacrifices that we have today, as this passage tells us, are spiritual sacrifices. You say, okay, well, what is a spiritual sacrifice? Well, it's simply a, a work that we do for God because we love Christ. Look, and this could include many things. It can include praising God. It can include doing good. It can be sharing one's resources. It could be bringing people to Christ. It could be uh, sacrificing your desire for the desire of another. It could be you using your spiritual gift in the local church. It could be you praying for other people. Those are spiritual sacrifices that we are to give to God. But as mentioned, in order to have spiritual sacrifices that are as 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 calls acceptable to God, we need to be spiritually pure. These priests of the Old Testament, they would need to wash their hands and wash their feet in these large in this large basin before going to do their work for God. And again, they could not be unclean. They could not go uh, defiled because if they did, they would die. And therefore, they would be of no use. And I want you to know tonight, church, that God has very little use for a Christian that lives defiled. God has very little use for a Christian that's corrupted by the world and continually corrupted by sin. God cannot use a defiled and dirty vessel. It's not possible for you to live for yourself and the pleasures of this world and still be of use To God. It's not possible to be tied down to an earthly God and also serve God and please Him. And look, this is something that a lot of people are trying to do. They're trying to live for themselves. They're trying to uh, stay tied down to their gods and at the same time, please God. It cannot happen. It's impossible. (laughs) To try to uh, live for God and live for yourself or live for some idol is like trying to be at two places at once. It is impossible. You can not do it. It does not work. So, just as these priests had to be physically cleansed before doing their sacrifices in the temple, we need to be spiritually cleansed before doing spiritual sacrifices. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now there are many places that we could go to see this truth. I think of in the Gospels, I believe it's Matthew, where it talks about before you uh, bring your offering to the altar to make sure that everything is right between you and your brother. Uh, but this is just another example here and another illustration uh, that's given to us by Paul. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's very interesting, this, uh, the, the Greek word for vessels here, It's describing various utensils and furniture that would be found in the home. It's a rather broad term, but it really helps paint a really good picture. In this analogy, Paul speaks of two types of utensils or serving dishes. And the two types of vessels in this great house that he's speaking of were vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor. Now, in this home, as it uh, was in all wealthy homes in this time, they had vessels that were made of silver and gold. And these were vessels of honor that would be used for honorable purposes, like serving food to family or guests. That was an honorable thing. They would use silver and gold utensils and vessels to do that. But then you had vessels to dishonor. That were made, as this this passage says, uh, of wood and earth, or, or wood and clay. And they would be used for that which was not honorable. Such as getting rid of garbage, or getting rid of filthy waste. But look at verse 21 again, of this chapter. It says, if a man, therefore, purge himself, or separate himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So, if we purge ourselves, if we cleanse ourselves, then we can be of use to the Lord. Now, of course, this is not talking about uh, the initial cleansing that we get because we cannot cleanse ourselves in this way. Uh, but to purge here means to thoroughly and completely clean, to separate yourself. And when this happens, we are then able to be a vessel unto honor that is fit for the master's use. We are then uh, set apart, we're then clean and we're pure, and then we're able to be used for God's special purposes. Uh, One pastor put it this way, they said, For any waste bucket in the house to be used for a noble purpose, it would have to have been vigorously scoured, cleansed, and purged from all traces of its former filth. I want you to understand tonight that if we live an unclean and holy life, then we're not fit for the Master's use. We are living as a vessel to dishonor. And oh, how far of a cry this is from the way most believers conduct themselves today. Many professing Christians, they desire to live as close to the world as possible while still living for and serving God. But I'm telling you, it's not possible. The Bible tells us, come out from among them. Be ye separate. And a Christian that genuinely loves God and genuinely understands his desire for his children uh, to live holy, they're not going to seek to get as close to the line of wickedness and as close to the line of the world as possible without crossing over. They understand uh, that, that God's holiness, it drives them to be holy themselves. The Bible tells us, be ye holy for I am holy. First Thessalonians 4, 7 says, for God hath not called us to uncleanness but unto holiness. And the only thing that living like the world does is cause spiritual damage and it will cripple us from service. I love the illustration that D.L. Moody gave when he said that Christians, they have to live in the world, but they should not be filled with the world. He said a ship is in the water, but if water gets into the ship, then she goes down to the bottom. So Christians, they live in the world, but if the world gets into them, then they too sink to the bottom. Look, we need spiritual cleansing in order to do a work for God. And this cleansing is a daily and continual cleansing that keeps our hearts in tune with God. Again, it doesn't bring us salvation, but it keeps our relationship with God. And it keeps our hearts in tune with God. Now these priests in 1 Kings 7, they had this giant basin for ceremonial cleansing so that they could do their work for God. But as believer priests today, what do we have for spiritual cleansing? that enables us uh, to give our sacrifice and give service that's acceptable to God. I want to look at two things that, that, that really work to help us be clean, to help, help us be spiritually pure. And, and there's these two things should be taking place in our life every day to keep our hearts close to God. And again, they do not bring us salvation, because as you're saved once, you're always saved, but they keep us holy and in harmony with God. If you want to be holy... If you want to live your life in harmony with God, if you want your heart to be in tune with God, then you have two things. You need to continually read the Word of God and also confess your sin to God. Now for these priests back then, this basin of water, it cleansed them, it prepared them for service. But today, we get cleansed and prepared for service by the washing of water by the Word. Let's look at 2 Timothy again. Look at chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at verse 16. This is a a passage that everybody probably knows very well, but it just helps continue to, to drive home this truth. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Look, this book that you have in your hand, this Bible, it is here so that you can be made complete. It is here so that you can be made holy. It is here so that you can live a pure life. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Look at verse 8. John chapter 13, verse 8. And this is where, uh, that one of the accounts of the time where Jesus Christ washed the feet of the disciples. And look at John chapter 13, verse 8. And after Peter found out that uh, Jesus was going to wash their feet, Peter saith unto him, in verse 8, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And and really, this is a picture of our salvation. Look at verse 9. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Now Jesus, in this passage, he is speaking of the long biblical tradition of physically washing uh, that's being used as an illustration of spiritual cleansing that we've been talking about. And Jesus, he taught that there's an initial bathing that's distinct from this ongoing washing. And what he is saying in this verse, in verse 10, is this. One that is bathed does not need to be bathed again except for his feet. Again, we are initially cleansed by putting our faith and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross and that was once for all and we have no need to be cleansed again in this manner but then afterwards we must continually have our feet washed uh, in an ongoing relationship and the washing of the word of God so the priests again just think about the priests of the old testament with in first kings they were set apart unto God they were set apart for his purpose to do what he wanted them to do, but they still needed to wash their hands and their feet prior to making these sacrifices. And as you have trusted in Christ, you are forever set apart from, uh, unto God, and you are forever his. But you must continually have your heart and your ways washed by the word of God. And the word, it keeps us clean. It keeps us pure and it keeps us holy as we serve God. Psalm 119 verse 9, one of many verses that speaks of this fact says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Verse 11 of that chapter says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. John chapter 15 verse 3 says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So the word of God, it cleanses us. It keeps us clean, it keeps us pure. You may say, okay, well, how is this so? Well, as Hebrews says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, it convicts, it points out sin, it cuts to the heart, it guides us in truth, it teaches us how to live. So therefore, listen, you need its cleansing work every single day. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 21. James chapter 1 verse 21. Start there. It says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. This is a simple yet very powerful illustration that teaches us how the cleansing word of God works. And our response to the Word of God should be very similar to the response that we have when we look in the mirror and we see that something is wrong. You fix it. You don't just walk off and not fix it. Look, and when you see that something in your life is wrong, as you carefully and cautiously look in the mirror of God's cleansing Word, you see a command in there that you're not obeying. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and cause you to be obedient to it. As you read the Word of God and you see God's clearly pointing out sin in your life, you must deal with it. You must confess and forsake it. So that right there, that is what the Word of God does. It points out our sin. It convicts our hearts. And when we're convicted of it, we need to confess it to God and therefore forsake it. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all on righteousness. So consider tonight, do you allow the word to wash you and sanctify you every single day? Do you keep your heart clean and pure before God? You know, we must not only read our Bibles to say we read it. And oh, how often we can be guilty of that. Well, I just, I checked the box, I read a, a chapter in Proverbs, I didn't get anything from it, but I read it. Well, you might as well not even have bothered. We're not just to read the Bible to say we read it, but rather read it so that God can use us as a clean vessel that is truly fit for His use. D.L. Moody said that the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. The Word of God, it, it cleanses our ways. So tonight, I want to challenge those that do not read the cleansing Word of God to start doing it. Start small but do it daily. You'll find that the more that you read, the more that you study, the more that you learn about the Word of God, the more you're going to love His law. I want to challenge those that read the Word of God, maybe just to say that they read it, and we all can probably get... have those times in our life, but I want to challenge you to begin reading it with a new mindset. Read it with the mindset of looking to be cleansed by its sanctifying power. Approach the scriptures with a heart that desires to live a holy life. And for those of you tonight that do well to read, and you do well to learn and meditate and apply the scriptures, I want to encourage you to continue. We daily need to be washed by the sanctifying word of God. And if we want to live holy lives that are set apart unto him with service that is acceptable to God, we need to go to our molten sea, which is the word of God. So that when we offer our spiritual sacrifices to God, they are acceptable. Jesus Christ said in John 17, when he was praying to God about his disciples, he said, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. May our heart be, as one man said, he said this, he said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man that's fully consecrated to him. And by God's help, I aim to be that man. That should be our heart. May we all aim to be holy as God is holy and allow his word to cleanse us and liken us to his image. And this book that you have in your lap tonight is incredible. You understand that so many people, even all around the world, so many people, they don't even have a copy of the word of God. They would do anything to have what you have. And you will never be able to exhaust your study in the scriptures. There's so much to learn. But this, the word of God, it is our molten sea. It cleanses us. It it cleanses our ways. It shows us what we need to do to be uh, clean and pure before God. And We need Christians that are living holy lives, and it will not happen apart from learning and studying and meditating on the Word of God every single day. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.